Uh, you know, it was a term that I came up with like 22 years ago. Nice. And I was like, you know, men are sexually illiterate. Yeah. And illiteracy is epidemic in this country. And we all need to get illiterate. Uh, so so much for coming on to the faking it podcast it's so great to have you to have a doctor who's specialized in so many things related to sex and pleasure so i recently read your book she comes first and i know that you've written it quite a while ago so i appreciate you (laughs) jogging back into your memory so we can discuss all the incredible fantastical things that you wrote about in the book and so as a woman i just want to thank you for being a feminist and for writing this book um yeah i really mean that from the bottom of my heart there's not that many people who've gone through what you've gone through what you mentioned and the reason that you wrote the book yeah. i don't know if you're open about that can i publicly talk about anything cool so yeah. in the beginning of the book you just mentioned that you had ed erectile dysfunction and that was one of the motivating factors for you to like wanting to understand a woman's body and how to like pleasure them and yeah. do, all the, do you want to just go yeah. really quickly and say why yeah, you're, sure, you're, sure actually it wasn't ed it was okay. uh it was actually a more common problem to men which is uh early ejaculation okay. and uh you know, I really struggled and um, I wasn't able to connect the sex that I wanted to have in my head with uh, my genitals. And it really mm-hmm. led to a lot of disappointment and frustration and just sort of being, uh, you know, very hard on myself. And mm-hmm. then uh, eventually when I really got to college, I started doing a lot of research and I really um, started just trying to figure out, like, what is my problem and how do I change it? And I realized the problem was the whole approach to sex. And Mm -hmm. I started really um, researching a lot of um, feminist uh, sex therapists and uh, researchers and really learned about the uh, power of the clitoris. Mm -hmm. And that, hell, even if I could last as long as I wanted and have uh, the firmest, biggest erection in the world, it doesn't actually mean that um, my partners would enjoy sex. Mm -hmm. And so I was really... um, had to really just totally sort of um, reframe uh, my approach to sex and mm-hmm. get out of what I called the intercourse discourse mm-hmm. and just being obsessed with being able to do one thing and do it well right. and just really expand my uh, definition of sex. So right. that was sort of the um, the genesis for mm-hmm. She Comes First. I think it's really interesting, this idea of intercourse discourse because one it doesn't just put pressure on men to have big penises to be able to last long and that means like as a woman that's what we want how big is his dick is it a big dick you know like that's what we talk about but also even for women is her pussy tight you know like all this rhetoric around just penetrative sex just this intercourse which creates good quote-unquote good sex is what we're being taught but what is this new idea that you're talking about that's also important because clearly the clitoris doesn't even get hit usually by yeah, the penis right. and penetrative sex. That's right. There's yeah. um, what's called the clitoral vaginal distance. I don't know, right. maybe you've talked about this already on your podcast, but there's, uh, you know, a few centimeters at least between the glands of the clitoris, which is the external structure of the clitoris. The thing mm-hmm. that we have to remember is that penises grow outward. Right. Uh, clitorises actually grow inwards. Right. But the external facing part of the clitoris, the glands, mm-hmm. which is above the vaginal entrance, that can right. be two to three, four centimeters and it's it's a small distance but it's actually a huge distance because what that means is that most intercourse positions 
do not adequately stimulate the clitoris. And the clitoris is absolutely the powerhouse of the female orgasm. Mm -hmm. If you sort of look within the the, the vagina, all of the sensitive nerve endings that contribute to orgasm are either on the surface of the vulva Mm -hmm. or really just within the first inch or two of the vaginal entrance. And that's not because... Um, the vagina has, you know, all these sensitive nerve endings. It's because clitoral structures, structures internally mm-hmm. are wrapping around uh, the entrance to the vagina. So mm-hmm. even a vaginal orgasm right. is actually really uh, a clitoral orgasm. Right. The, the point of She Comes First was to really... Uh, help men. And I coined the word clitorate, by the way. I don't, I'm pretty modest in clitorate. the end, I but, uh, <laughs> uh, you know, it was a term that I came up with like 22 years ago. Nice. And I was like, you know, men are sexually ill clitorate. Yeah. Ill clitoracy is epidemic in this country and we all need to get uh, so clitorate. Funny. And that was really the point of She Comes First. And if you take a clitorate notion to sex, if you Mm -hmm. really value female pleasure, then you have to break out of the intercourse discourse and you have to redefine what sex is. Yeah. A hundred percent. I mean, there's just one thing I want to touch on really quickly from what you said, even when somebody has vaginal intercourse and has a vaginal orgasm, it's not from the vagina that they're really having that orgasm. There is no such thing as the G spot inside of the vagina, which is something that you talk about on your book. Do you want to really quickly explain what that is? Well, first of all, the vagina is really, it's a very important part of the body, but it's designed to do one thing, which is Mm -hmm. really to deliver babies, you know, and in fact, delivering babies can be quite painful. Mm -hmm. So if anything, you want fewer sensitive nerve endings, the Mm -hmm. more. So, What's happening with the clitoris? The clitoris is really, you know, a a fascinating um, organ. Um, There are internal structures. So basically, like, imagine, like, sort of what a wishbone looks like. Mm -hmm. So if you imagine, like, a a wishbone from, say, a turkey, and the tip of the wishbone is actually sort of the tip or the glands of the clitoris that's Mm -hmm. sort of external, and it's what most... The head, the clitoral head. The head, the glands. It's what most people would define as the clitoris, right? Right. But behind the glands are um, really two legs, Mm -hmm. like like on that wishbone, two very sort of elastic... legs that um, are are flexible and can can fill with with blood. And those legs wrap around the entrance um, to the vagina. Mm -hmm. And so when arousal is happening and blood is flowing to the genitals, it flows into those legs and those legs wrap more tightly Mm -hmm. around the vaginal entrance. So Mm -hmm. now you can imagine whether you are penetrating with a penis, with a sex toy, with fingers, what you're actually doing is creating vibration mm-hmm. against the internal clitoral structures, mm-hmm. against those legs. Does that right. make sense? It's the friction internally that's creating vibration right. mm-hmm. against the clitoral structure. So huh. it's really still a clitoral experience. Right. It just happens to be internally stimulated. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that makes sense. There's not really like a particular part of the vaginal canal that's more sensitive. It's more what's on top of a particular part of the vaginal right. canal, which is the clitoris, a clitoral cluster that then gets, has vibration from penetration or from finger stimulation. Absolutely that right. That then helps create Absolutely or, or right. And the G spot 
is an area, there is actually an area that's considered sort of urethral sponge, Mm -hmm. but without the clitoral legs wrapping tightly Mm. around that sponge and pressing it against sort of the ceiling of the vagina, there wouldn't be sensitivity. So all of the pleasurable sensitivity comes from clitoral structures. And that's why I think it's really um, uh, important to... uh, to think literally. Um, right. My wife, I was just remembering, I used to have this very cool She Comes First t-shirt. I could actually get you one. Uh, <laughs> but on the front, it said She Comes First. And my wife came up with the phrase on the back, which was like, think outside her box. Mm. And uh, it was just, again, to cool. think outside of this idea of um, penetration. Right. Uh, penis to vagina penetration. Right. I think one thing that you said in your book that to me was very, really like, eye-opening and revolutionary was when you said that penetrative sex is for making babies and that's not all that sex is, you know? What do you like even mean? Like, cause the fact that the clitoris is far away from the vaginal canal, like that to me, it doesn't make sense. Like, can you explain what you mean by like how baby making is technically separate from sex or yeah. Yeah, well, is that a hard question? you know, a friend of mine, Emily Nagoski, uh, who wrote uh, she come, oh, come uh, as you are, come as you are. Yeah, um, she coined the term "pleasure is the measure," right? So mm-hmm. we should be looking at sex uh, in terms of uh, first and foremost, in terms of uh, pleasure. Yeah. Um, what was I going to say? I'm sorry, I lost my thought. What was the question again? About like baby making versus sex and. Clitoris right. far so away from the vagina. I'm a big fan of uh, moving away from out of the intercourse discourse and really embracing outer course. Mm-hmm. You want to pause for a second? This is a New York. Welcome to New York City, uh, Miriam. You're going to be dealing with a lot of noises. A lot of on cuts this, in my podcast uh, episodes. Uh, podcast. Um, you know, it's interesting. So when I'm working with couples, mm-hmm. I would say. Um, About 95% of the heterosexual couples that I work with, if you ask them to describe the last time they had sex, and Mm -hmm. I wrote a book called So Tell Me About the Last Time They Had Sex, they're going to describe having intercourse. 95 to 100% of heterosexual couples are going to say, we either had intercourse, we attempted to have intercourse. When I ask those couples, how long did it take you to get to intercourse? Mm -hmm. Many say anywhere from zero seconds. I like We just show up aroused and erect and Mm -hmm. naked and jump into bed and have intercourse to about seven minutes. You know, Mm -hmm. it's actually rare to hear couples saying that they'll have have foreplay uh, for longer than 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 seven to 10 minutes. Right. Mm -hmm. Everything is arranged around intercourse. Mm -hmm. Now, if you were to there was a survey done of gay men around the last time they had sex Mm -hmm. um, and the extent to which. anal intercourse to find a sexual event. And in the case Mm. of gay and bisexual men, only 35% had anal intercourse. Mm -hmm. So if you're just looking purely at intercourse, you're looking at nearly 100% of heterosexual couples and only 35% of gay and bisexual male couples. Mm. So what are they doing? What are the other 65% doing, Mm -hmm. right? They're engaging in outer course, right? Mm. What is outer course? It's It's the kissing, it's the hugging, it's the caressing, Mm -hmm. it's the manual stimulation of the genitals, it's the oral stimulation of the genitals, right? There's about 10 10 outer course behaviors that um, you can engage in. But what was interesting about the study of gay men is that, I think it was like 25,000 gay men took these 10 behaviors 
and arrange them in 1,300 different sequences, <laughs> right? So there's incredible right. variety as to yeah. what we can be doing sexually to sort of personalize, I call it the sex script, you know, mm-hmm. what we're doing during sex, yeah. to personalize our sex scripts right. to really create pleasure or to work around the problems that we're having. Again, mm-hmm. like I started this because I was just banging my head against the wall. How can I have intercourse the right way? Mm. Well, fuck it. Throw intercourse out of the window. What is it? It's just one behavior. It's just a single behavior, a penis and a vagina. It's no better or different than a mouth against a vulva or a mouth against a penis or hands touching or lips touching. No, I think that's so interesting, especially the gay versus straight dichotomy and understanding that because for me, I'm bisexual. And so- I know that I was able to throw out all these rules about how you're supposed to have sex when I was with a girl. Cause they're who kisses who first, you know, right. what is second base? Like what, right. there, there's no technically home run with women. Right. Like, right. so having to have to go through those motions of like, okay, we're just going to do what feels good rather than yeah. what we're told we're supposed to be doing to reach maximal pleasure yeah. then taught me the yeah. world of pleasure and being able to prioritize that, yeah. you know? And so I think it's yeah. so interesting that gay men have been able to do that too, because they also are forced to not conform to this, like, given out set of rules of what sex That's is. That's right. They're outside of the sort of the heterosexual, heteronormative, uh, you know, uh, sex. Right. Exactly. Right. The rule book. They don't have to play by the rules. And yeah. so I guess what your book does too is teach straight people that they don't have to play by the rules well, either. The rule book sucks, yeah. right? Because if you're just focused on intercourse as a mm-hmm. primary event and men and women are equally focused on intercourse, right? That right. means that a penis has to perform perfectly. Mm-hmm. Well, guess what? That creates a lot of performance pressure and mm-hmm. penises don't perform uh, perfectly or correctly. You know, I deal so much with um, uh, erectile impairment, erectile unpredictability amongst men. Mm-hmm. And guess what? Most of the men that I deal with, they're in their 20s. Mm-hmm. They're in their early 30s. These aren't older guys who wow. can't get it up because they're old. No, these are young guys who are experiencing tremendous pressure in the shadow of the intercourse discourse. What does it mean for women? Oh, I have to have an orgasm this way. And if I don't, or if it's painful, do I speak up or do I potentially, you know, look like I'm a problem in Mm -hmm. some way? So I think, you know, just blowing apart this intercourse discourse Mm -hmm. has really been the thread of my work since Writing She Comes First, actually 22 years ago, the yeah. first draft. I'm 23. To today. <laughs> yeah. You know, I was yeah. probably thinking about it when, uh, before you were born. That's pretty cool. That's awesome. So if you had to define sex, how would you define it? How would I define sex? Um, I would just say it's a physiological and a psychological experience that allows uh, two people to really become absorbed in pleasure together. And I say a psychological experience. I don't know that we'll get into it today, but, um, you know, I, I just think that, um, our ability to tap into fantasy, to tap into psychological stimuli, Mm. um, is so neglected and that as a culture, we're just focused on the, what are we doing physically part? Mm. You know, meanwhile, when we're masturbating, You know, uh, women can fantasize their way to orgasms without touching themselves. Men can get very usable erections just by thinking about sex or watching something sexy. 
So that's the power of psychological stimuli. Totally. But we're not bringing that to partnered sex mm. most of the time. Yeah. I love that. I love that definition of physiological and psychological. Right. And getting experience. absorbed, getting into mm. the flow of sex. You know, one of the reasons there's such um, an orgasm gap between men and women is not just the lack of, of clitoral stimulation. It's because mm. studies have shown that for women, the closer they get to orgasm, parts of the female brain that are associated with outside stress and anxiety literally shut down. Mm. So it's literally like part of the female brain needs to turn off so that the other part can turn on. So getting into that turned off, absorbed flow state is crucial to sex. That's so interesting. I'm reading this book right now called More Than a Body um, by Tulexi and Lindsay Kite. So I think okay, is authors. That's cool. Good yeah, book. Very good. Very, yeah. And one of the okay. things they talk about is how women tend to self-objectify in the, like social situations. So self-objectification means they literally take themselves out of themselves and see what they look like. Like, how right. does my hair look in this moment? Right. You know, like, how does right. it look when I'm sitting? Like, and they see themselves because they know what they look like. And so right. there's a part of their brain focused on how do I look in all of these situations when I contort my body in this way or in that way. And right. that I'm sure applies to in the bedroom too. And they're naked. So it's hard to let go because they're like, Ooh, am I sexy when I'm like in this 100%. position with them? You know, my stomach is folding over. That's not hot. Well, you know, it's interesting. So first of all, in sex therapy terms, we call that spectatoring when you're okay. watching yourself having sex. And what's cool. interesting. So she comes first. Uh, in addition to being all about clitoral stimulation, really makes a case for oral sex right. uh, as the key activity to yes. engage in, in terms of creating at least uh, female pleasure mm-hmm. and that a guy can do so much more with his tongue and with his mouth than he can with uh, just his penis. And what's fascinating is actually a lot of guys really buy into that message. Mm-hmm. And when I'm working with couples, very often it's the female partner who doesn't want to receive uh, mm. oral sex. Why? Because of what you just said, sort right. of genital self-esteem issues. Oh, does he really enjoy doing that? I yeah. don't think so. Or um, how do I taste down there? How do mm-hmm. I look down there? How do I smell down there? Mm-hmm. All of these performative totally. uh, expectations come into the bedroom. Yeah. Yeah. I've had partners where I don't care if they're hairy or not hairy. Like to me, it doesn't matter, you know, but they would have to be like freshly shaved mm-hmm. in order for me to like, be near mm-hmm. their vulva, you know? Yeah, yeah. And I'd be like, I genuinely don't care. Like, I yeah. promise you, I think your vulva's sexy, you yeah. know? And it'd be yeah. like, no. Yeah. And so I think it's so interesting how, like, society plays that role. Do you have any, and have any advice on how women can get over that self-esteem issue when it comes to, like, being okay with letting men go down or anybody go down on them? Well, I think, um, I think, you know, that's where really, um, communication comes into play. I mean, like I said, so I sort of felt sexually handicapped. I couldn't work with my penis the way I wanted to. Mm -hmm. And I wanted to be, uh, oops, I'm sorry. My stomach's grumbling. I don't know if you heard that. I didn't have, okay. That's why I'm sort of holding my stomach. (laughs) Oh man, you need Um, a snack. (laughs) Yeah, I probably do need it. It always happens during podcasts too. It must be a little bit of like some kind of, uh, uh, reaction. Uh, uh, reaction. What were what were we saying again? I'm sorry. We How at? to help women get over right. that? It's communication. So you okay. know, I've been with women, and um, they've been uncomfortable. Um, even my own wife at times hasn't, you know, has wondered wondered in the beginning, does he really enjoy doing this? Is he if I can communicate, though, to a partner how much I'm getting off, how much right. pleasure I'm getting from giving. Right. And that's going to make my partner feel so much more 
uh, emotionally safe. Totally. And, and I think it's important for women not to fake it, mm-hmm. right? Once you start lowering your expectations um, or start not self-advocating for yourself, um, mm-hmm. then you're really going down, you know, uh, you know, a bad path. So right. I think it's um, I think it's important for women to um, focus on their own pleasure, mm-hmm. to learn what works for themselves, mm-hmm. um, and to be able to self advocate for that. Hey, I'm not getting enough clitoral stimulation. We need more foreplay above the waist, right. above the neck, right. or more foreplay below the waist. I need to bring a vibrator into the bedroom because I just need that level of vibration. Mm-hmm. Or hey, let's mix it up. Let's have some intercourse and then go to the oral sex. Why does intercourse have to be a culminating activity? Mm -hmm. But look, Miriam, in any relationship, it's all about communication, right? Right. You're not going to get through anything. You're not going to get through a shopping list without communicating to a partner, Mm -hmm. right? So if you're not going to communicate about sex and you're just expecting it to all just happen, Mm don't know how you're going to get anywhere. Right. No, yeah, I think that's like in your book, you mentioned multiple times how the partner should always say three things before they like go down. Like, I don't know if you remember this, but do you want to mention what? It wasn't, it wasn't like you had to say it, (laughs) but you had to like think about it and espouse it. Because again, I meet so many men. I don't know if your readers will be surprised. I mean, listeners will be surprised or not surprised by this. I meet so many men who are like, you know, it turns me on so much and I could do it as long as it takes. And I love the taste and I love the smell and I love the immediacy of the experience. So holding Mm -hmm. that in mind, right. Um, What you're doing is engaging and Mm -hmm. exciting and gives you pleasure. Mm -hmm. The taste is, is, is good. The smell is good. It's a pleasurable experience. Right. Holding all of that in mind and and being able to communicate that to Mm -hmm. a partner. And look, it doesn't always have to be like, so matter of fact, like I love cunnilingus and this is what I like. I mean, people don't talk enough during sex either. They don't communicate, you know, what they're loving about the sex. You know, I think that, um, when our sexual brains are turned on, our appetites are turned on and it's like going for a fantastic meal, Mm -hmm. right? Like if we went for a fantastic meal, like I love going for like sushi and omakase, right? It's one piece and fuck man, you'll talk about how amazing (laughs) is that piece. Wow. The taste, the textures, right? I love it. Yeah. (laughs) Um, we should be doing that during sex, Mm -hmm. letting our partner know, right? Thinking of our partner Mm -hmm. as this delicious meal and communicating that. that. But too Mm -hmm. often we get silent and we're not talking enough. Yeah, totally. But I love what you're saying and just letting it be known that I love this. This turns me on. You know, even if you're the woman, you can ask your partner, do you like this? Does this turn you on? Just having that conversation is just so important to be able to relax and just enjoy. Because even me, you, we like people love cuddling this. We love licking pussy. We love doing that. It's great. It's fun. It's, I get so much pleasure from it. So many people do. And so it isn't just an act of giving. It's also an act of receiving. So I Absolutely. think like a lot of women need to accept that and know that to be true because it is true. Yeah. And, and I think it's always surprising to me how, you know, within the intercourse discourse, how about 80% of women do not orgasm consistently from intercourse and yet will not self-advocate enough. Mm -hmm. I work with so many uh, heterosexual couples in which the female partner is like, oh yeah, I have orgasms when I'm on my own, but I don't have them during partnered sex. Right. I'm having partnered sex for a different reason. Right. Why not 
No, and for me, orgasms. I'll tell you why. I think like I can say as a woman, being a woman throughout my, my entire life, the experience is such that we're not supposed to advocate for ourselves, period. You right. know, and if we have a partner who loves us, that's good enough. Like right. orgasms has never really been something that we've right. been striving for. It's right. never been part right. of the like bar, right. you know, of a good partner. Right. That hasn't mattered as much. Totally. And you know so. what I found is like a lot of women think, for example, if my partner tells me, hey, I need this or do more of this or listen, that feels good. But can we not switch so quickly? Right. They feel that something is wrong with them. For right. Even having to to talk about, yeah. you know, what works for them or they're afraid of being seen as some sort of sexual problem. But, you know, that's assuming that guys have so much ego wrapped up in sex that they really don't care about their partner's Mm -hmm. pleasure. And that's a false assumption, too. Totally. You know, all of the men that I work with, you know, um, college students, you know, graduate students, professionals, all the men I work with care deeply about their partner's pleasure. Mm-hmm. Usually they care more about their partner's pleasure than their own pleasure. That's awesome. That's really cool. Yeah. And so in terms of like you talk about how in this intercourse discourse, there is somewhat sometimes cunnilingus, but it's usually just for two minutes or three minutes. And it's part of the foreplay. Yeah. But in your book, you talk about how cunnilingus should be a part of core play. Do you want right. to explain what you mean by that? <clears throat> Yeah, well, first of all, I think that foreplay should be extended into complete sexual acts of connection uh, and lovemaking. I also think think that oral sex usually gets relegated to being like an appetizer on Mm -hmm. the sex menu and often occurs at the wrong time in terms of arousal, Mm -hmm. right? Like so many um, couples... So many guys will say, yeah, like how often, does, how, how quickly, oh yeah, we have foreplay, we kiss, we touch, we have oral sex. How quickly do you get to oral sex? Oh, I'm there within 30 seconds. Mm-hmm. Well, that's telling me that more than likely your partner isn't aroused and probably isn't ready for that level of direct um, genital stimulation. Right. So in turning foreplay into core play and including cunnilingus, it's also understanding that probably... That kind of gen, that kind of intense genital stimulation doesn't happen right at the beginning of a sexual event. Mm-hmm. It probably happens closer to the middle, mm-hmm. leading up to the culmination of a sexual event. Mm-hmm. So, cunnilingus is, um, you know, it's it's a fantastic sexual behavior, right? Um, but uh, great behavior, wrong time, you know. Mm-hmm makes it renders it, you know, ineffective. So that's a little bit about sort of just thinking, getting, putting intercourse aside, Mm -hmm. like what does sex look like, especially for a heterosexual couple, if you're not going to include intercourse. And sometimes that's my homework to couples Mm. go, go have just like outer course based sexual events for a while. I'm not saying you're not going to have intercourse again, but let's break free from like that right. intercourse discourse and just mm-hmm. go have outer course for a while. Yeah. And yes, it's real sex. Mm-hmm. Think of it as real sex. Is right. it generating real pleasure? Is it generating real orgasms? Then it's real sex. Mm-hmm. If the intercourse that you're having isn't generating real orgasms, isn't generating real pleasure, then maybe you're not actually having sex, yeah. even though you're having intercourse. Whoa. <laughs> Damn. <laughs> Yeah, that's fuck. Yeah. No, I love that. That's really, really good. I think that we all need to do that. My what I decided after reading your book is that if when I have my next male partner, whoever they may be, I will make them read this book (laughs) (laughs) before they sleep with me. 
But they have that mindset too of just being able to, to me, it seems like having a queer approach to sex, you know, yeah, like it is, it is, it is a queer approach to sex. But yeah. so let me ask you, because you're so much younger than me yeah. and look, I work with a lot of people your age, but mm-hmm. it's in a more clinical environment. Like you just said, like the next time you have sex with a guy, you're going to, you know, make sure you're getting the clitoral stimulation you need. Yeah. Right. Is there a hurdle to getting that? Like what's happening like with your generation? Yeah, my generation, I can, yeah, I would say that I'm definitely obviously different than most people now because I am more sexually empowered. So when like the last one night stand that I had with a guy brought my vibrator in my coat pocket, you know, yeah, <laughs> like it was a day and like I, we both knew that probably something was going to happen. And then I took it out during sex and I was like, I want to use this. Is that cool with you? And he said, sure. Like he didn't care. Yeah. And then afterwards I asked him, has a girl ever brought a vibrator for like the first time that you slept with them? And he said, no, right. you know? And I said, was it or like, was it fine? He's like, no, I loved like, he was so ecstatic about it, honestly, because I orgasmed, I had pleasure. Right. And right. yeah. And he was like surprised that I orgasmed. So it seemed that most of the time when he sleeps with a girl for the first time, they don't That's orgasm. Right. Um, and so I would say that in my, from my friends in my generation, they tend to not have orgasms with their partners. Like, for the first few times, maybe if it's a committed relationship, they do, mm-hmm. but there is still a lot of like mm-hmm. hardship. Mm-hmm. And then another thing too, is that sex has become more rough with my generation yeah. is another thing that I've heard. And that's like more due to porn. Um, yeah. So tell me about that a little bit. Is it like, even in hookups, is it just less tender, less romantic or less feel like, I don't even want to say lovemaking, but just like a real sensual experience. I, yeah. I mean, like the first time I ever had sex, I was like super right. I was 21 years old. I'm like, I'm ready to have sex now with a yeah. guy, you know? I remember he like was choking me. He was pulling my hair and I was like, don't do that. Don't do that. Yeah. And it was my first time having sex. It was hard. It was very hard for me to speak up at that point. Wasn't sexually empowered. So I only spoke up when it was like legitimately physically painful. And, right. but if it wasn't, if it was uncomfortable, I didn't say anything. It was only like right. when it was like real pain. I was right. like, don't do that. And you know? do you think guys are doing that for their own pleasure or because they think that women are think, into it as well? And no, I think that? he thought that I was into it because he said to me, he's like, oh, that's the first time a girl ever told me to not choke her. Right. There was so, a, a woman named, I don't know if you've interviewed her, Cindy Gallup. I have. Yeah. Actually. Make love, not porn. And yeah. I think that that's, you know, very true that the guys internalize a lot from porn and actually think that, you know, that's the sex that women in, enjoy. Right. And, um, I don't know. Like, why wouldn't a guy also want to be tender or 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 loving, even in mm-hmm. even in just a, a casual one night stand or a hookup? Totally. Why not take your time and really let go and think yeah. of it as like an erotic massage? What that wouldn't be cool or mm-hmm. something? Or it's not cool. It's not what anybody does really right now. It seems like yeah, it's too unfortunately, bad. It's yeah. Too bad. So that's why we need to advocate. That's why it's like okay, if this is what you want, I think that guys are very open to doing that if you ask for it or if you Mm -hmm. say like I want to have soft sex or like Mm -hmm. I want it to be gentle like I think you just have to set that expectation and then they're very open to that and like also get pleasure from that so that's what I try to tell people right so the moral of the story is more than likely we didn't grow up in sex positive homes yeah I know you didn't grow up in a sex positive home right yeah more often than not we grow up in like a sex negative home I don't know if your home environment was sex negative and Mm -hmm. probably 
most of us have grown up in sex avoidant homes right. where we just don't talk about it. Mm-hmm. And so then that continues into adulthood, yeah. right? That's yeah. sort of where continuing what was modeled for us. And what I'm sort of hearing you say is mm-hmm. sort of what I said, which is, hey, if you just start talking about it in a in a, in a constructive and self-advocating way, like everyone can be flexible. Totally. Everyone can be open-minded. Totally. Yeah. Yeah. And I think the last thing I want to talk okay. to you is just a little more practical advice in terms of how to do cunnilingus. Is there any, like, I know in your book, you mentioned all these different methods. Mm-hmm. So there isn't really any yeah. particular way, but if you can just give our listeners something that yeah. they can carry on to their partner or so, do on their partner. Okay. Yeah. Okay. So first <laughs> of all, I would say to, um, you know, anyone who wants to perform good cunnilingus, don't think of it as something that happens right at the beginning. Think okay. of it some, as something that happens in the middle mm-hmm. when your partner is already really, you know, very warmed up and sex is very warm and very uh, percolated and, and everyone is really aroused. The second thing I would say, especially to men, is do not think make your tongue like a substitute for a penis, right? Mm-hmm. It's not about penetrating a vagina with a tongue it's not about um you know being like 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 a cobra or something you know with your tongue or just going nuts Mm -hmm. um and i would say if anything it's really about letting uh, a female partner lead in a way okay and so what does that mean it means I, i guess my tips would be you know focus on stimulation not penetration, Mm -hmm. focus on being very consistent Mm -hmm. and very rhythmic, Mm -hmm. um, focus on stillness, Mm -hmm. um, and letting a partner push into you and, Mm -hmm. and sort of grind against, you know, uh, your gums and, and, and your teeth, right? It's really, if you think about it, one of the most popular, uh, sexual positions that most consistently leads to orgasm for women is woman on top. Mm -hmm. And that's because, um, a woman is able to get that direct clitoral stimulation by exactly positioning her clitoris for the position she wants, the mm-hmm. kind of stimulation, the level of pressure. Right. Well, do the same thing with your mouth and mm-hmm. really let a woman lead. So if cunnilingus is a dance, uh, a woman is really taking uh, the lead in it. And a right. guy should really be tuned into uh, following based on how she's... Um, Leading, mm-hmm. I would also say, um, yeah, forget all the, the showmanship and, and the flash, you know, just focus on persistence, consistency, uh, you know, stillness. And really, um, especially as a partner is approaching orgasm, not changing what you're doing. Mm-hmm. You know, it's interesting about men is as a man goes through the plateau phase of sexual response and heads into orgasm, he reaches a point of ejaculatory inevitability, mm-hmm. whether with or without further stimulation, right. he is going to have uh, an ejaculation. That's led to a whole genre of porn called ruined orgasms, where women pull back that stimulation at the last second. Women do not reach a point of or- orgasmic inevitability. So a woman can actually lose an orgasm even as it's happening. So that's why it's really important for a guy, again, to follow his partner's lead Mm -hmm. um, and to not change up what he's doing. Yeah. If it's working. Mm -hmm. Um, And of course, the title of my book is She Comes First. Right. And I think the the approach should really be on orgasms that are asynchronous and Mm -hmm. happen um, 
in serial one mm. after the other, not necessarily uh, in parallel. I think it's much easier to aim for serial orgasms that are very uh, uh, closely connected in time as opposed to going for some kind of uh, simultaneous orgasm. Usually if you're going for a simultaneous orgasm, mm -hmm. you're going to end up with a guy who ejaculates first and a female partner who's gotten really maybe pretty close, right. but hasn't gotten to orgasm. Mm -hmm. Got it. Cool. Well, thank you for sharing that. I hope people take this with them into their bedroom. I hope so. <laughs> or any any particular place. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, thank you for having this conversation with me. You're very welcome. This is really thank incredible. You, uh, thank you for having me. Yeah, cool. Awesome. <laughs>